All right. Well, let's let's go back to this uh, this wonderful uplifting book that we've been looking at for two weeks, and we're going to be in it this week and probably next week, and then we are. That's is that the end? Yeah. Yeah. That's the end of June. So we will handle we will handle it this week and next week and try to to get to a, a good stopping point in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, you know, last week we we did a, a fair amount of of reading down through chapter three, and we had we had gotten to uh, this portion where we talked about how God had had put in the heart of man this this realization of eternity, and we talked about various reasons why that's important. But in, in the end, we kind of come back around to this this understanding that. Um, you know, this, when we feel in our hearts that eternity exists and that life goes on without us, it's depressing. It's it's one of those things that when we talk about what the preacher is saying in the book of Ecclesiastes, it kind of goes right along with all these these woeful observations. But in the end, it's really about us understanding and looking to God for what eternity really means and trying to get in tune with what God has done and searching for him and then therefore searching for the true meaning that exists in this life. And if you will have a brief little uh, uh just revisiting here that there's there's so much that's being said as the preacher writes here he says under the sun under the sun it's that constant reminder that this life on earth is is what he's referring to and that we need to look beyond that so i believe we stopped at verse 14 and didn't finish out um, down through this passage so let's kind of jump in there and see where this will take us here Uh, Verse 14 in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which which already has been, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Uh, back up here for just a minute and think about this for a second. So, so we have this preacher who has been, he's letting God seep into his, his words. He's letting us start to get this little bit of a, of a peek at some things that are going on in his mind. Yes, all this is vanity. Yes, all of this is, is, is seemingly ridiculous. Yes, man just works really hard and then he dies. What's the point? But he comes to a realization that what God has done has endured forever. You can't add to it. You can't really take away from it. It's, it's all here, and it's here for us. And But God has done it for a purpose. He's done it for a purpose that we can see him in his creation. He's done it for a purpose that we can look and see all these things that are around us and we can develop a fear of the Lord. And we've talked about fear of the Lord in here, the same as we have in in our in, in Sunday school in the same room, talking about fear being that respect of the Lord. And when you come to a realization that what God has done around you, what choice do you have but to respect the Lord? What choice do you have but to look at him in a, in a, in a way where you experience total awe and wonder at what God has created around you? And sometimes, you know, I'll, you'll be driving, I'll, at least I will, I'll be driving up the road and all of a sudden it'll hit me. 
I'll just look around at all those trees, especially this time of year when you start to see all the green and you see the fields and you see the, the, the crops that have been planted and you see, you see all these things that are around us and realize what God has put before us. It sometimes hits me at night when I'm driving. So there's something about driving through Bellevue and heading up Big Hill up here uh, that that when I, if, I, if I happen to look over and see the moon, something about that just brings me to a point of awe and wonder, thinking about God and how he's arranged everything in such an incredible way. It's really neat. It's that way when I leave here in the evening, sometimes after Bible school on Wednesday night, and I go toward home and Stevenson says there's corn in the field. You can smell that corn. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's, that's, I get that. Yep. Yep. And that's how it's supposed to be. You know, that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be in wonder and in awe of God. Takes me back to the the thing I've said before where um, um, I went out to to dinner that one time with Tim Welcher and the the waitress came over. I know most of you heard this, but the waitress came over and I placed my order and, and, and she read it back to me and I said, awesome, sounds good. And she walked away and he looked at me. He said, I wish people would stop saying awesome. He said, no, no one is awesome except God. And nothing is awesome except God. We throw that word around like it's like we do love. And he said, I mean, he was chastising me because he, he knew he knew he could say whatever he wanted to me. And I wouldn't hit him. But he was letting me know in no uncertain terms that the word awesome really should be reserved for something that is truly awe-inspiring and is something that is full of awe. And when you look at God's creation, that's where that word should come to mind. This is awesome. God is awesome. And he's done all of this. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is kind of dropping a little point here to say, you know, God has done this so that that people people fear before him. And it's in a good way. Um, Verse 15 and, and... the bottom of verse 15 here, this is this gets a little strange, and I'll explain. The, the ESV renders it, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks that which has been driven away. That last line doesn't seem to fit, and you'll find some translations and some versions that seem to not even deal with this statement. And you may find it rendered differently in, in different versions. Do you, the, somebody want to share what they have as, uh, instead of God seeks that which has been driven away? Well, 15, I mean, and this is NIV. Hmm. Whatever is has already been, and what will... Well, hold on. Let me adjust my Bibles. Whatever <laughs> is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. Yeah, see, that's a different, that's a slightly different approach here. Uh, ESV renders it, God seeks that which has been driven away, which to me makes, I can't make any sense out of that. Are you talking about restoring the Garden of Eden? Um, I mean, because it, it, was already, it had already been, and it was, it was there before, and if he's going to call the past to account, you know, that he's going to bring... Restored Garden of Eden as the new heaven and earth. Well, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Because he's going to restore what should have been before the fall was came into. No, does but does that reconcile with what you read? Okay, whatever is has already been. So I mean, right. What will and what will be has been before. Yeah. Okay. 
and God will call the past to account. Okay, yeah, that, that I could I could see that that making making sense and fitting in with that. The reason I bring this up and and, and draw attention to this, uh, first off, does anybody else have something they want to share about how their their theirs might render it? NLT verse fifteen says, "What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again." Yeah, it doesn't really. It sounds like the NLT is one that kind of just went. Eh, we're, we're not going to talk about that because I just think the whole theme of that passage is we should really just be content with whatever God's plan is and not really fret over it one way or the other. And you know, there's it, it, scholars are split. Scholars don't know what to do with this either, because you find a contention of scholars who look at God seeks this again. This passage seeks that which has been driven away, and they say it doesn't even belong with the this particular breakout paragraph. It really belongs with the next paragraph, and it should be translated completely differently. And it has something to do with that God seeks justice. Uh, for those who who have been wronged or, or something along those lines, there's a there's uh, apparently the the original writings of this and the transcripts can be translated so many different ways that you've got these different versions of scripture where they have taken a look at it. I read I read one one commentary on this line that said so many people want to accept what the King James says, but it certainly should be rejected. And like, well, you can't say that when everybody else doesn't know what it means either, you know. So it, it's one of those lines where I, 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 the only reason I bring these things up and always do bring these up, I do it a lot in Sunday school and I'll do it here too, is to say these are the things that people love to start to pick apart. These are the things that people love to open up multiple Bibles and they love to go, look at this. It says this from here. Oh, look, this one don't even have it. Look at this. Oh, you see this over here? How can you believe this? And so I want to always mention whenever I know that there's a point of contention, that this is a point of contention, but don't let it bother you. Because it doesn't change anything about the scriptures, doesn't change anything about the meaning, and it has nothing to do with the foundation of salvation. I like that you do that. What? I like that you do that because you're hanging on every word in the book. You are? I mean, to me, it just ties into verse 14. It said, what God do with it? Uh, whatsoever we do with it shall be forever. And God doeth it that men should fear for him. So he's done it. So he wants to hang on to that. Because he did it for good reason. So don't forget it. Don't forget it. What is in the future have been? So kind of yeah, and, and, but again, I, I, if this goes back to what he's already said do it a little bit if you think about it he said before there's nothing new under the sun right everything that's been done has already been done everything that you do somebody else has done you know he's he's bringing this point that there's nothing new under the sun and I think you can pull that out of this as well that everything that that's already been it's everything that's going to going to be has already been and it's just a, re a repetition of that on Christ, for our standpoint, no matter what we go through, Christ himself has already been through with himself for us to look to him for answers because he can relate to know, know what was going on because he's already been through it and it's already happened to him. So, Tank, you need to understand something. <laughs> when, when you're sitting here and Barb's sitting there, 
you're going to get all kinds of different perspectives and your eyes are going to go, hmm. So <laughs> she knows it and I know it and I love it. So it's a good and thing. I don't know where it comes from. It just comes to you. That's all right. That's all right. Well, it's like we say, you know, scripture is one of those things you keep digging and you keep digging and you keep digging and you'll keep uncovering all kinds of things that have meaning to you when you need them. And it's a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. So any other comments on, on that right there? I just uh, wanted to bring it up and not get hung up on it, but bring it up. All right. Let's move on to... 16 says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So he's looked to these two places where he would expect to not find wickedness, and they are there as well. Verse 17, he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see what they them, that they themselves are but beasts. Now, I used to go home from school and I would walk in and I would look at my mom and I did this, I did this more than once and I should have done better, but they would tell us at school, you know, people are, are just animals. We are just, we're just animals. That's all we are. We're intelligent animals, but we're just animals. And I go home and I tell my mom, we're animals. And she would just about tear me up. We are not animals now. I'm going to tell you something. We are not animals. And she would just let me know it, that we are people and people are different from animals. And wow, here it says right here, God is testing them that they may see for themselves that they are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. And I'm going to use that word uselessness. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. So we'll pause there for just a minute. He's making this point and it, my goodness, this is depressing, is it not? That if you think yourself any better from an earthly viewpoint, if you think you, 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 can, you can look at yourself and think, well, because I am a man, because we are people, there is something better than animals when it comes to eternity, when it comes to that idea that things go on and on, we're no better than they are because we're all going to wind up dust just like they are. And it brings us back to that whole thing again where the, the preacher is again making us look at things in a not so wonderful way. It says, all go to the same place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. 21 says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? I'll finish reading this and we'll talk about that. Verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So he repeats that whole idea that when it comes to any joy or any 
happiness or anything that, that is going to bring you a, a positive feeling that should come from what you do, that should come from your, your labor. And he's saying that our labors that we have to do on earth are actually gifts from God and that we should find some enjoyment in that process. But verse 21 saying, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. This whole passage, some argue that the preacher here is trying to, to, to kind of throw water on the idea of there being an afterlife. What do you think? We know that's not what's going on. What's that? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay. No. Next player. <laughs> they didn't they make a sequel to that too. All dogs go to heaven too. Okay, yeah. I don't think I've seen either one of them. Yeah. <laughs> TWO. I think it was. I think it was Roman numerals. Oh, Roman. Yes. Not sure how that fits in. But what is it? What do you think he's? What do you think he's saying here? Overall, God's creation. I mean, we were all created from dust. And, I mean, it tells us from dust to come, dust to come, go back. And, I mean, but will the beasts be given a heavenly body like we will? And will We'll have to wait that one. There's, there's absolutely, no, there's nothing in scripture that I'm aware of that refers to, to our, to our pets being in heaven. I know that that thought does not make some people happy, um, but there's, there's nothing that I'm aware of in scripture that talks of, of animals having a soul. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, when you start to read through this and remember where he's coming from. Remember, he is approaching everything strictly from an earthly perspective. For, yeah, go ahead, Tink. You got something? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, he, I think he's just overwhelmed by the depravity of, of life and just how dark. And I, we've all felt it. I was just pointless at the time. Like, I was pumping gas to come up here, and I look down at my feet, and there's a drug needle right beside my feet. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't wait. I, I this sounds so depressing and sort of suicidal. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> no, but I can't wait to not be on this earth. Anymore. Yeah. Because it's just heavy. It's just like, why is the world so meaningless? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And that's the point of it. You're right. That's the point of it. He's 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 overwhelmed and 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 a, and a really a, I think an in-depth look at this is he's he's saying who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward in other words who can know when someone dies where they go who can know when someone dies we we, we can't tell it's 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 really a simple statement you know we have no idea and 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 really and truly from an earthly perspective we don't know what's going on when when the beasts go go into the earth from an earthly perspective, none of this makes sense. And from an earthly perspective, we all look the same because we all die the same way and go to dust. And it's from that limited viewpoint that it looks so ridiculously depressing that it's calling us to look, as, as Tank mentioned, it's calling us to look beyond it. It's calling us to look for God. It's 
calling us to look for the solution that takes us away from this to find meaning because you're never going to find it in this. It's just not going to happen. He must change his two by 12 seven. <laughs> Did you look ahead? Oh. Ron Randall. It's funny how he summarizes I know. Like, he goes on just, just hating the world and then his like really short summary is like uh, at the end. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. Just, just fear God. Yeah. Like that's the whole summary. I know. But I see it like in, it's like a constant back and forth. You know, in, the, in 16 he says uh you know, there's evil, my version says there's evil in the courtroom. Under the sun, also notice under the sun, there's evil in the courtroom, blah, blah, blah. And then in 17, he said, it's like he's reassuring himself at all times. Like I said to myself, yeah. in due season, God will judge everyone both good and bad. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's just a constant back and forth fight. It is. It is. Carolyn? Uh, he did a lot of things to disqualify himself. He broke the covenant with God. And uh, he built temples to idols. He, he had strange alliances with women. Yeah, yeah. His life was pretty much a mess. Yeah, As for, for all the wisdom in the world, it doesn't keep you from making bad decisions. You know? Do you think Solomon was the right? I, I, I kind of go back to, to, to one uh, thing I read that, that that framed it this way, that even if Solomon wasn't the writer, it seems to be intended to be from his viewpoint. Uh, and, I, and I think I can accept that. Um, Very close to him and knew his life if it wasn't. If it wasn't, yeah. And, and, and then I always fall back to, it doesn't matter, Holy Spirit wrote it anyway, so I'm, I'm good. You know? you know? so <laughs> I'll have these discussions with people about who, like, who wrote Hebrews. We go back and forth. Did Paul write? I don't know if Paul wrote or not. I can't say. It, but did you, oh, I think he did because of this and that. In the end, I go, Holy Spirit wrote. Who, who cares? Yeah. That's, that's bucket two item. It's, it's bucket two item. Thank you, thank you. There is a lot of that. There is a lot of that. It's 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 like you said. It's it's all it's this back and forth. Yeah, it's this back and forth. There there is definitely some of that here, and you can you can definitely see that. It's you know. Sometimes it's like he's justifying the bad that he did. Did anybody, um, I can't remember which Lee Strobel book it is, if it's Case for Christ or, or Case for Savior. Or there was, you know, he's got several out there. Um, but in one of them, he goes to visit the man who led Billy Graham to Christ. And he, I can't remember his name for the life of me. But the man who led Billy Graham to Christ denounced Christianity and, and, and went, went off and, and literally turned his back on everything that he had previously preached about. And he found him living in Canada as an, as a, as an old man suffering from dementia. And he got permission to go in and talk to him. And when he went to talk to him, he writes in his book that he went in and started to try to have a conversation with him. And, and he, he describes what state he was in. But he mentions, he mentions Jesus to him. He said there was a point where he just started sobbing uncontrollably. And when he stopped sobbing, he looked at Lee Strobel and he said, 
Jesus. He says, I sure do miss him. And it, it gives this impression that once you, once you know, you always know. Even though you're over here, even though you've been led astray, even though you've, you still know. You, you know where you should be. You know where you're not. And, and, and you can, when you read this double-mindedness back and forth, you can get some of that feeling of, uh, I, sure, I sure miss him. That prodigal child. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knew what he had. And then when he was down at the, the bottom, of the worst of it he could ever be, he, it's like he remembered, you know, I, even if I just go back as a servant, not even as a child, just as a, a servant, I would be better off than where I'm at now. Yes. Well, and, and as we get into chapter 4, um, he holds a, he holds an interesting viewpoint. Um, let's see if we can get through some of this here. In in chapter four, he says again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the other side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So his, his, in his mind, again, from this, from this earthly perspective, the people who are dead are better off and more fortunate than the people who are still alive. But even better are the ones who've never been born. It would be better not to have suffered the evil to have to die. So he still sees death as, a, as an evil because you have to go through it. So if you weren't born, you wouldn't have to endure any of that. And, and it's an interesting viewpoint that basically says you'd just be better not to be born. But better than both is he who has not yet been and who has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's this keeping up with the Joneses issue that so many of us have. So-and-so has this, has this house. I got to have that house, but a bigger one. Oh, my neighbor got this car. Well... I got to get a better car. I got to show him up. And this, this feeling that if somebody else has it, I need to have it too. But I need to have it bigger, better, faster, stronger. And because of that, our toil gets bigger and bigger and bigger from envy of our neighbor. And he says that is just vanity. And it's chasing after the wind. Verse 5, though, he says, the fool folds his hands and, eat, and eats his own flesh. There might be a different translation of that in some of your, the ones you have there. But essentially, a fool, however, on the other side of this picture, just sits with his hands folded and doesn't do anything. And now he does that to his own destruction. If you sit around and you're idle and you don't do anything, well, that's not good either. So, again, we can't, we can't win. Six, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So he kind of warns a little bit there about working too much 
for the wrong reason. Verse 7, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. This feels a little bit more of that back and forth, doesn't it? But it, but it, he's, he's, he's seeing some positive aspects in not being alone versus being alone and some things that we can, we can say that come out of good with people working together, etc. But at the same time, he's, he's doing this flip-flop thing again. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand. A threefold cord is not quickly broken when people work together and there's cooperation. These are things that, that yield a better result. We'll go ahead and finish out through chapter four. Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who, has, who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those whom come later will not rejoice in him. Surely there is also vanity in, and they striving after wind." Um, this is just sad. <laughs> I don't, I'm running. I'm running out of ways to say this is sad because you can only say that so many different ways. Comments or, or thoughts about what we read there, and and what does it what does it make you think of or reflect upon? Well, kind of almost gets back to what we were thinking before. Solomon himself didn't write it. There was somebody close enough, close to him, who knew his life and was there. That, you know, we're the story of his life for maybe for us to better understand Solomon himself, where, where he started out with the good heart and with the wisdom and he was doing right, but because of his decisions, the lost sight of God, you know, it's just a warning to us. Um, and then as Ron, you know, towards the end of the chapter, he comes back and realizes, you know, what he can and where he actually needs to return to. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can you can you can definitely see a reflection here of of a man who's been through the things that that we know Solomon went through. Um, over these particular verses here, uh, the the ESV Study Bible says the preacher makes a sharp contrast in these verses. On the one hand, there is one person who continues in endless toil, yet who is never satisfied, even though he acquires great riches for himself because he has no other. This, the preacher says, is vanity and an unhappy business. On the other hand, the preacher affirms how much better two are than one, 
Thus, the wise person will work side by side with another, enjoying a good reward and finding help in times of need. The wise person will pursue cooperative ventures rather than give in to jealous striving to be first, a striving that isolates him from others. The virtue of cooperation is actually anticipating the mutual help of the, uh, in the body of Christ, which I, I found is an interesting observation. Sounds like something you'd say, Barb. But yeah, it's a, it, it's a picture there of someone who seems to say, I've wasted my entire life striving to be this. And I didn't want anybody with me. I didn't need help. I was going to go it alone. And looking back, I can realize that when everyone is cooperating and working together and we're not striving out of selfish ambitions, there's a lot better reward to be gained. And, and, and that comes back to, to some of the thing I remember saying in, in, in prayer here this, morning, or this, this evening. I keep saying this morning because I sit here on Sunday mornings. I'm going to keep doing it that if we all work together, there's gonna to be something wonderful that will come out of it. If we're all striving together toward a common goal, and, and that is God's goal, then things will, things will work. Things will work out better, and, and we'll all experience it together. Any other comments, questions, criticisms, rotten eggs or tomatoes or potatoes or um, various things? I think the saddest part of just reading this is that this this sadness and depression is, or depressing stuff has come from a guy that knows the truth. No, yeah, yeah. And today, the large majority of the people that we encounter don't, and they're chasing after the wind just to inherit hell at the end of their life. Yep. That's very sad. It is. It's incredibly sad. Um, and a lot of those people are actually going to church every Sunday, which makes it even sadder to me. Right, well, sad, like, the gentleman that but like, Christ who knew Christ and, and hand the hands had personal but now looking at things and because of the world's view and then well sniff get in there they are doubting if what they thought was believe is true. Yeah. Yeah without a doubt. And I will tell you think that, that video you showed uh, of those those girls talking about their uh, their softball game. It, it still resonates with me. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I, I, I saw I saw a news broadcast, um, I guess it was yesterday, where they were, were showing that and, and bringing out what they had said. And um, it's, it, you know, everybody should be paying attention to that. It was good. You know, it's, it's, I just like the message. Softball doesn't matter. Softball doesn't matter. Yeah. That's absolutely right. We get, get, our, get your priorities in order, right? Anything else? Well, I appreciate y'all being here. Now, hopefully you're not getting too depressed and walking out of here, you know, all down, downtrodden and downhearted. Uh, let's not do that. There is, we win in the end. I read the end of the book. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those, those take away, though. You don't want to do that. You want to, you want to read, read the whole thing and get it right. And then go back and read commentaries. They're twice the size of the of the Bible, and and, and just keep on digging deeper and deeper. So. After this, yeah. <laughs> God is so big on Sunday. He joy on Saturday. 
I believe I am hearing that after I mess them up, you need to fix them. Oh. And then you were sitting there, and I'm glad there was that scene. You were saying, go to bigger and stronger and better. Do you know what that referred back to? Oh, I don't probably know. Six million dollars. Oh, that's right. That's right, it does. Yes. Sure enough. Yep. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yep. We have the tools. We have the technology. We can make him better, stronger, faster. Oh, don't mess with me on 70s TV now. Okay. I wasn't not very old, but I still got it. So come on in. Have a seat. We're just getting started. No. <laughs> no. So what's next, Joe? Right. What's that? Yeah. I didn't hear you. So what's next, Joe? What's... <laughs> no. I wouldn't do that to you. No. All right, now we'll go ahead and close. Uh... <laughs> what's it say about me and Joe and Ecclesiastes are two of my favorites? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it explains... <laughs> It explains how the Vasky girls could look at you and say joy is a problem for you. <laughs> Let's close. All right. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here. And thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for preserving it all these years. And we thank you for what it means to us. And again, we're so appreciative, Lord, that we can come here and we can discuss your word and it can it can literally come to life for us. And uh, Father, I just hope and, and pray that we will we will hide the true meaning of these words in our heart and we'll use it as uh, as the light into our path and that we will uh, use it to make decisions each and every day and that we'll recall it when we witness to others. Um, Lord, just continue to be with us, guide us, and bring us back here Sunday so that we can worship together. And we thank you for all you've done, Lord. And as always, we look forward to what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.